What's up, y'all? My name's Leticia, and you're listening to Confessions from the Closet, a podcast all about vulnerability and overcoming. It's time we get ourselves unstuck from these boxes and these closets that we've allowed ourselves to be trapped in. We're so much bigger than these boxes we've been in. It's time we go deep, y'all. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another week of Confessions from the Closet. I am so excited about today. I have one of my new friends who I have just admired his work for so many years, and now I get to call him friend on today. I'm excited to have him share his story on something that changed my life and helped me so much. I have Timothy Keurig. Keurig? Keurig? Did I say it right? Yeah, Keurig. Yeah, Keurig, um, author of Cross in the Closet, which I talk about every week almost it feels like um and so i'm so excited thank, thank you, you so much that. i appreciate it yes I, <laughs> no I, mean, problem. I can't get enough of just the idea behind the book so i'm really excited that you're here to share your story at some point i'm gonna have to write a follow-up though yeah uh, it's gonna have to be a little bit different so. yeah that's good um so the first thing i really want to ask and i kind of ask everyone this is when mm-hmm. and how did you come to like know Jesus, like have faith. And what was that like? Like, what was it like? And when, how old were you really? Um, well, I was raised in the church, um, but I was raised in a really hyper conservative Christian denomination, um, independent Baptist, uh, mm-hmm. with pastors that were graduates of Bob Jones university and Pensacola Christian college, which for those who don't know, Bob Jones didn't even allow interracial dating until 2001. So wow. it was a pretty, um, hardcore upbringing. And I, you know, I did the whole, you know, six year old, um, you know, mm-hmm. confessional come to Jesus moment in yeah. Sunday school. Um, I think I, I actually came to Christ though at 18 or so around there. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started finally poking some holes in the dogma and, and starting to, you know, started to inter- interact with Jesus, um, yeah and have a relationship with Jesus, but it still was several, several years until I felt like I really encountered Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, um, you know, it's, it's still go. Yeah. <laughs> it's a work in progress. Right. It should be. Um, so one thing I was looking at when I was just looking at old interviews of yours was someone had asked, um, they asked, when did you first start believing that being LGBT was wrong? Like, what was that story like? Well, the, I mean, I read about uh, this early on in the book. I, uh, I remember being in Sunday school when I was I'm tiny. I can't remember exact what age, but I was tiny. And we had the, the teacher was up with this cloth felt board that she used to stick cloth felt pieces to that would never stick. Yeah. You know, and we always laugh about it. But um, they one lesson was on Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I had heard any um, anti-gay rhetoric specifically in the church. But I mean, I was probably six or seven years old at the time. Mm. And um, and then um, that anti-LGBT uh, sentiment was encoded almost into the DNA of my of my religious faith. Mm-hmm. I like to differentiate between my religious faith and my actual faith. Yeah. But um but yeah, so, I mean, as, as long as I can remember, you know, as long as I've uh, considered myself a Christian up to that point, I had, I had uh, believed it was an abomination, a natural, yeah. you know, a, a, a sexual sin, yeah. not anything involving identity or 
who you were created to be, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's it's crazy that it happens so young. I'm just like, wow, my daughter's ten. I'm really thankful that's not something. Obviously, we wouldn't be in that yeah. church. Um, <laughs> it wouldn't work out. Yeah, well, it was thirty years yeah. ago. So thankfully, some things have changed. Not not enough things have Definitely changed, not. but some things have changed. Definitely. So. Um, so I wanted to just talk more about the book. So you met, you were at karaoke with one of your friends and she came out to you yeah. and this is how the whole journey started. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me about that a little bit? Yeah, that was the inciting <laughs> incident for me. Yeah. So, um, my best friend, Josh, who is still my best friend to this day, I was hanging out with him the other day. Um, he, uh, started going to this little dive bar called Springwater. And if you're familiar with Nashville, Tennessee at all, it's, right next to Centennial Park Mm -hmm. behind the McDonald's. And it was a speakeasy during Prohibition. And now it's just, you know, still a total dive bar. But on Tuesday nights, they had what we ended up jokingly referring to as lesbioke because there was a pretty heavy um, population of LGBT folks in there. But um, he started bringing me to that. And I found this amazing community of people that were loving and non-judgmental and pretty much the opposite of everything that, I had been around all of my life and um, I fell in love with that bar. I fell in love with singing Tenacious D songs (laughs) with my buddy and, and um, you know, the, the, the community we had that extended outside of that bar and the, uh, all the regulars, there was a pretty uh, core group of regulars that attended. Um, A young woman started attending. She was there probably about six weeks in a row hanging out and and I had a crush on her. I thought she was adorable. And she pulled me out on the patio one day and I was, you know, hoping that, you know, it was that moment for me to flirt with her finally. But um, she said um, that she had heard that I was a Christian and she said, how can you, how can you be a Christian? And um, you know, my, my, the hairs raised up on the back of my neck. I started feeling myself getting defensive and I was trying to figure out a way to answer her question. And before I could say anything, she broke down in tears and she said, I came out to my parents and, um, my dad said that he wouldn't pay for the education, like room and board of a faggot daughter. Mm. And her mom said, come back when you're fixed. And so as a result, she had to drop out of college, move to a different state. Um, you know, and, and, and in that moment, the thing, the reason it was the inciting incident was, A, I had never seen that level of rejection firsthand. Mm-hmm. For a lot of LGBT folks, it's either part of their personal you know, history and narrative, or they've known somebody who would be able to tell that same kind yeah. of story. Um, but being as sheltered and living in this bubble that I was living in, it was never something I was personally, you know, I personally mm-hmm. witnessed. And... Um, and I found myself in that moment more angry at her parents for for not explaining it to her the right way. Like the, they they could have somehow made her know she was an abomination mm-hmm. without making her feel like an abomination. Yeah. And you know, I was not present in that conversation. I was not or in that in that situation. And I had this precious young woman crying on my shoulder, and and all I was thinking about was what the little religious voice that had been programmed into me was telling me to say and how to convert Mm -hmm. her and how to like save her. And, uh, as soon as she left, I, I felt a real aha moment. It was like one of the first times I felt like God spoke Mm -hmm. to me. Um, 
I write it about a little bit more generically in the book, but I feel like it was probably one of two or three instances in my life where I felt like God was like, hey, so that voice you just listened to, that wasn't me. Um, we're going to have to fix yeah. this. And and thus the, the journey. Began. Wow. That's crazy. Um, so you just, did you feel like he called you to do it? Or was that just something that you decided this makes sense? I felt like yeah. he called me to do it. Um, no, I mean, I'm, I'm always hesitant to, you know, say anything I'm doing is God yeah. told me to do this or God told me to do that. But, um, but it was a very personal mm-hmm. whisper in my, yeah. that I very much feel was yes, the Holy Spirit. Totally. So then you embark on this journey, which is totally the whole book. Um, but you decided to yeah. literally walk a mile or a year and her shoes. Well, as literally yeah, as I literally. Can. I mean, you, you, <laughs> you, you, I mean, you did walk in. I read it as a brand new out of the closet mm-hmm. person. And I mean, it helped. Mm-hmm. Well, I got to be yeah, sensitive. Well, and that's, <laughs> I'm, I probably say yeah. all the wrong things yeah. sometimes. I'm like, I don't know that I'm politically correct all the time, but I try my best. And so. Yeah. That as a mm-hmm. brand new person out of the closet, your story and your willingness to come out to your whole family as you were gay and and try mm-hmm. to understand and have empathy in a way that I've never seen anyone do for this community. It meant everything to me. Um, mm-hmm. And just I, I shared. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, no, I. Oh, you're good. I shared the book with my mom. I know I gave it to her and I think I even tried to give it to other people like that were in my circle at that time because I was just like, if they could just understand it from your perspective, because you never had to live that. So if you can tell me a little bit more about that, that journey and how you started it really for the viewers, obviously Mm -hmm. I know the story, but I think it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, I think the, first thing that I realized after she left and I, and I had this idea kind of forced on Mm -hmm. me in my brain that, that I was going to do this. I I realized that there's no way I could ever understand what my friend was going through in feeling that rejection. Um, but I did realize that I could understand for myself, um, what, how that label of gay, impacts so Mm -hmm. many people's lives that um that once people identify you as that if they're anti-lgbt or just you know and believe it's a sin um they will almost forget about every other label that could be attached to you and just focus on that hyper fixate on that one thing that they disagree with or against and i knew that given the fact that i was a college pastor at the time that it was going to, um, it was going to be an interesting experience and that my super conservative religious family was going to have a really hard time with it. And, and, um, but I knew that coming out and saying that I was gay, going into the closet Mm -hmm. as straight. So I could also kind of, um, experience what, what denying self was like, um, and denying my identity was like, you know, and Mm -hmm. get a glimpse of that too. I felt like, you know, it was the, the only way that I could bypass, you know, what I think would have ended up being 20 years of therapy and a bunch of, you know, a much harder road yeah. than I even went through. So I made the decision. That was a, when I, when the, uh, when she came out to me, that was June of mm-hmm. 2008. 
So in January of 2009, I came out to friends uh, or family first on day one, then friends day two, and then social media on day three. And um, and I expected a lot of things. I did a lot of research, read books, uh, accounts of people coming out, horror stories and mm-hmm. positive stories, and spoke with people, made friends with Mel White of Soul Force and mm-hmm. Jay Baker, um, uh, Jim and Tammy Faye's son, who's, awesome. who's become a friend, and asked them about all their experiences. And um, and so I was expecting, you know, 75 coffee invitations where people would proselytize, but the shocking, initially the shocking thing was just the utter silence mm-hmm. that I was met with. Um, you know, I, Martin Luther King Jr. said, you know, in the end, it's not the words of our enemies we'll remember, but the silence of our friends. Yeah. And that silence was just absolutely deafening. Yeah. So I went from having this vibrant social life and community and religious family and everything to having almost every relationship in my life just ripped away from me, you know, cut off as though I had died. And, um, and that was an eye opener. That was the first, you know, kind of shoot a drop. Yeah. Wow. Um, so then you decided to immerse yourself in the gayborhood, as you call it in the book. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> yeah. and what did you yeah. experience it's there? Still there? Yeah, it's still there. Um, yeah, it is. I drove by it the other day. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it was a, in Nashville on Church Street, which I thought was a, you know appropriate. Yeah. Um, I I started going to church um, in the in the little neighborhood of Nashville, and I. Um, started going to the, uh, a, a bar called Tribe. It was, you know, more business professionals, 21 and up after work drinks and, you know, opportunities to socialize and make mm-hmm. new friends. Started going there. And then I got a job at um, at a cafe a few doors down. It was attached to an LGBT bookstore um, called Revive Cafe. Mm-hmm. So becoming a barista at that cafe was amazing because then I I wasn't just in a bar. I was I was in this cafe. I was hanging around um, families and mm-hmm. you know kids and and groups of adults and ended up on a on a softball team in an LGBT softball league, mm-hmm. which you know I was the absolute worst at. <laughs> I mean, terrible. Yeah. I thought I was going to be amazing, and I got schooled. But <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was just I, I decided that since my entire community had almost just rejected me overnight that the only thing I could do was try to find a new community of Mm -hmm. people and what I found was this environment where people complete strangers would begin to invest in me um, immediately there was no let's wait and get to know you hang out a few times before we're friends I mean Mm -hmm. these people became fast friends yeah and I and I just started realizing that if I had if I could just find it, a church that was like that, it would probably be a game changer. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I spent uh, the majority of the year um, saying yes to every opportunity presented, um, like protesting in New York with Soul Force, um, putting on a marriage equality event in Memphis, Tennessee. Mm. So as I said, the softball team. Yeah. I just wanted to experience as many different facets of the community as I could. I volunteered at Pride Day, mm-hmm. um, so, uh, and then it was the one of the most beautiful um, experiences of my life yeah. was finding a new community and finding actual acceptance. Yeah, 
That's just so important. So then you're you're living your life in the closet as a straight man, mm-hmm. and you, everyone rejected you right away. So how did that year go with your family coming around? Did they come around? Did it mm-hmm. get easier? My mom came around more than anybody. I think, um, and I think my I think my my brother and sister in law had the most difficult time reconciling it. Not because they were hateful or anti-me. They just didn't. They had been raised in similar backgrounds mm-hmm. to me. In the case of my brother, the same background as me. And so I, w- I know it was a lot for them to chew on. I remember really vividly one night after I had gotten into an argu- argument with my mom where she had brought me coming out and throwing it in my face. And I was really ticked off at her. So I went down to the bar and one of my childhood friends, a guy named Will, who is still friends with, he'll probably watch this later. Hi, Will. Um, he uh, was bartending there at the time while I was putting himself through law school. Mm-hmm. And he uh, I, he asked me why I looked so upset. And so I told him the whole situation and I was expecting him to be simpatico and back me up and, and be angry at my yeah. mom. And having gone through similar experiences with his own mother, he... Um, he stopped me dead in my tracks and said, Hey, listen, she legitimately believes that her baby boy is going to hell. Yeah. Have some grace on it. Wow. Let her process this. Don't be a dick. Yeah. You know? So, um, you know, and, and so finding grace for the quote unquote enemy for the other, mm-hmm. um, was something that I, you know, I hadn't experienced that either. Yeah. I'd, I'd never been told that LGBT folks, you know, that the people who are marginalized in general tend to have a much more gracious outlook um most yeah yeah that's that's crazy that he said that i don't i say this all the time like i didn't realize how hard it was for my mom when i was coming out but like now nine years later i'm like Mm -hmm. they have to come out too so they have to process like you were this and then you Mm -hmm. are this all of a sudden um and especially for Mm -hmm. your mom she definitely didn't see it coming because you are straight so it had to yeah. catch her off guard, but, um, yeah, she was expecting another, mm. another marriage, more grandkids and that kind of thing. And, you know, not to say that I couldn't have been in a, in a healthy marriage and had mm-hmm. kids, but, um, but you know, the, the, her view of traditional marriage, um, you know, seemed up lost at that point to her. And I, I had to realize that she was grieving mm-hmm. something yeah. as well. And, Thankfully, she ended up coming around quite a bit and and um, is one of the more gracious people that I know now in my life has has been um, met a lot of my LGBT yeah. friends and and welcomed them and loved them and, and accepted them and, and affirms them wow. and wouldn't try to change them. That's for awesome. Um, so that's great. Um, so one of my favorite chapter titles is Jesus and Drag. Um, can you talk about that chapter a little bit? Yeah, I can. Yeah. It's, um, it's my favorite chapter (laughs) in the book, uh, because it's actually the only chapter in the book that I wrote during Mm. the year. I went through this experience and, and I, it, it hit me so hard that I was like, I've just got to write this. Um, now initially when I started the, the experiment for lack of a Mm -hmm. better term, I, I was just planning on journaling it. I didn't have any notion of writing or publishing a book. I wasn't trying to become famous, contrary to what 
some people want to yeah. think. Um, which, by the way, you're not going to become famous writing a book, no matter how well yeah. it does, you know, unless you're JK Rowling or something. But um, I was journaling this stuff, and I and I and I realized one day that I wa- I knew I wanted to share mm-hmm. it in a bigger way, but I didn't have any idea of how I was going to do that. <clears throat> so uh, by the time the situation happened in Jesus and Drag, I I I was solidly okay. This is I'm turning. I'm going to write mm-hmm. this story for other people too. And um, I was working at Revive Cafe, I believe it was June 2009. And um, I still had some issues at that point. I had overcome what I would consider to be my fear of LGBT folks and and the labels that that were you know ascribed to them and the, the stereotypes I had learned mm-hmm. about them in church and that kind of stuff because I had developed so many friendships and stuff. But um, But the question of like, is our gay and Christian mutually exclusive terms was still something I was really wrestling with and, um, attached to in the, you know, in the neighborhood, you'll notice this is a trend. Everything is attached to everything. Um, next door to the cafe that I was working at, um, the, there was a community center and I walked outside on a break one night, smoking a clove <laughs> cigarette. That Good makes job. me feel old. And I, um, I heard a song playing that I didn't recognize or I recognized, but I I couldn't put my finger on what it was. And I knew that they were having karaoke that night. So, you know, but I was, I was standing there. What is that song? What is that song? For some reason, it just felt like it wasn't supposed to be hearing that song. Mm -hmm. And I walked in to, uh, through the first set of doors into this, you know, room, the, 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 what do they call lobby of the community center? And I, I heard the song louder, still couldn't understand the words coming out of the, the mic. And so I walked through the second set of double doors. And when I got inside, I looked up on stage and there was, uh, uh, at the time, I Jesus and Drag is a misnomer. Um, mm-hmm. She was transgender. Um, but in, in my mind, it was, you know, essentially the same thing as a drag queen and a yeah. man dressed in a woman's clothing. and. Um, dressed like a young Barbara Bush with a pink skirt and big gold pearls and a perfect mm-hmm. hair and great heels and on stage um, singing. And, and she got to the chorus and all of a sudden it snapped, it, it clicked. She started saying, or she was singing, Our God is an Awesome God, mm-hmm. which, you know, is a classic praise song. Yeah. And I looked around the room and everybody had their hands raised and, and they were worshiping. And yeah. I felt this flood of the spirit kind of hit me and, and my jaw just dropped and I wanted it to be a fluke, uh, was waiting for the song to end. And I wanted to hear something from Lady Gaga or Britney Spears or Cher, or, you know, yeah. some, any of my stereotypical songs that I associated with, you know, gay men singing or, or lesbian women singing. And sure enough, the next song was another praise song and then another, and, and my jaw was just hanging like it, wow. like it, my mouth couldn't close. Mm-hmm. Then a guy walked over to me and he said, Oh, Hey, uh, you're for karaoke. And I said, I was just checking it out. I work next door. And, and he said, Oh, don't mind the Jesus music. We all go to church together. And when she gets up on stage, sometimes it, we just break out and start singing mm-hmm. praise songs. I hope that's cool. And, I felt like 
in that moment, this this tearing of the curtain, so to speak, that mm-hmm. realized that, that gay and Christian were not mutually exclusive terms, that the same spirit that I felt in my own times of worship was the same, was the spirit that I was experiencing in that room yeah. at that time. And, and that was the moment I realized that I had to put down that idea of exclusivity mm-hmm. um, in, in my faith. And, and, and believing that labels could separate me from Jesus. Yeah. You know, the Bible says nothing could separate you from the love of God, but I didn't believe that apparently. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I, it was the, one of the top three most profound life changing experiences that I've gone through. So I went home and I, I wrote the whole thing out and, um, I wanted to call the, the book Jesus and drag. Mm-hmm. And my publisher just said, listen, you're trying to reach conservative believing people with an alternative viewpoint to what they're used to. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these people only listen to conservative media outlets. And if you call it this, there's no way you're going to be able to, to you know, share your story yeah. on, you know, on these platforms. And, uh, and, and so, uh, editor, uh, said, well, what about the cross in the closet? And I said that, Okay, we'll go with that. It's oh, perfect. Um, but, but yeah, it, I think I've still got a picture somewhere. I'll have to send it to yeah. you. Yeah. Um, if I can find it. A picture of that exact moment. Wow. Before she got off stage, I pulled out my little three megapixel <laughs> right? camera phone and took a picture. Uh, so That's awesome. I'll always, uh, I'll always think about that. That's great. Um, did you find being in the community that the there were a lot of LGBT people who had a hard time with Christianity because of trauma. Yeah. I mean, I would say, and when I visited different States, it was a lot more pronounced. I lived in the Bible Mm -hmm. belt and you know, there's a church on every corner. Um, Church is as much part of a culture, you know, as politics down in the South. So, um, you know, so a lot of, and most of the people that I was spending time with had been raised in the church, you know, were very, um, very much believers themselves. Mm-hmm. A lot of them had had to overcome, overcome the trauma and the hurt caused by people professing the name of Christ to them. Yeah. Um, but, but it was amazing. I mean, I found a lot of, of friends that were actually theologically more conservative than I was on certain things, mm-hmm. you know, people that were believed in a literal six day creation, um, stuff like that, that, that I never would have imagined I'd find. Yeah. Um, and then the, the atheists that I've met and the people, I think there are a lot of people who are, who, who are agnostic or atheist because they legitimately don't believe. Um, there are a lot of atheists and agnostics I've met who don't believe because of past trauma, mm-hmm. um, of, you know, the, the ignorance that they experienced around them from, you know, religious friends or family and, and, or hurt caused by religious people. Um, so, but, but by and large, I find that the, the majority of LGBT folks that I meet are religious in one way or another. I've got friends who are, are Muslim and, and lesbian, Mm -hmm. um, which there's an amazing author named Urshad Manji who talks about uh, who she's a, a lesbian Muslim mm-hmm. woman. 
she goes on CNN and debates imams and she's got a book called uh, Love, Allah and Liberty. Mm. And then I forgot the main one, the first one I was exposed to about her, but she's absolutely a pit bull in yeah. all the right ways and awesome. You know, she lives up in Canada um, right now, but uh, yeah, I, I, I I don't know. I tend to meet more people just naturally who have some kind of faith system yeah. than not. Unless I'm out in Oregon, <laughs> in which case it's, it's the other yeah. way around. Um, so it's been all these years and clearly you have a lot, you've met a lot mm-hmm. more people. You do this, you travel, you speak. Do you speak mainly mm-hmm. about that journey? Mm-hmm. Um, so initially, mm-hmm. yes. Um, the first few years after the book came out, I was speaking at a lot of um, college campuses and churches and conferences um, that wanted to hear somebody who had kind of walked in both mm-hmm. worlds and, and, you know, a pastor who was affirming, who had a non-affirming congregation mm-hmm. would often bring mm-hmm. me in. Um, I've been in churches where they were on the fence about whether or not they were going to become gay affirming mm-hmm. church. Um, or not, and and wanted me to come in and and speak to their congregations. You know that that was initially it. Um, in 2015, I was able to I was given the opportunity to do a, a TED talk in Greece on the island of Syros, and um, which was amazing. Um, yeah, in, in every possible way. But um, the the Greek Orthodox Church, while while they're Socially less religious, almost kind of like Italy too. They're 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 very socially liberal, but they're very they're they're still operating off of the dogma of the the, the dominant religion in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I guess in Athens, it was kind of a big controversy. And so they the the people organizing the event were college students, so they thought, well, we can ruffle some feathers for the event, and we'll bring this guy out. And um, at that point, I realized, okay, well, this isn't just um, an audience of, of conservative Christians or LGBT mm-hmm. folks. How can I distill the message and the things that I learned from my experience into a much broader topic? And I had always, you know, written about in the book and, and after the fact about empathy and mm-hmm. about intentional empathy. And so the, my TED Talk was on practicing intentional empathy. So I used my story as a vehicle to deliver that message that I felt was kind of more broadly applicable to people or um, would, would, would be able to impact more people. And yeah. um, since then, with the exception of one event in Canada, a human library event where they specifically wanted me to tell my story, mm-hmm. um, I've, I've begun speaking more on the topic of empathy. In fact, the book I'm going to be working on October through December and finishing is a book, the book Practicing Intentional Empathy. And um, I've written two versions of that book and I've trashed both of them um, the the first time because Donald Trump became the president. And Mm -hmm. at that point, I lost all empathy, um, as I think a lot of us experienced. And then um, the second time, because I went through a divorce. Mm-hmm. And realized that, you know, I didn't want to put out this message of empathy and be a hypocrite. I wanted to yeah. be as authentic as I could. And I wanted to also write the book in the 
context of somebody who's gone through those things mm-hmm. and able to refer back to those things. Um, so, so yeah, I typically, um, now empathy is, is the topic because I feel like that's kind of the lifeblood of a thriving culture and society. Yeah. You mentioned in an interview that you expected to be, I guess, welcomed like Jesus when you came out to like your Christian friends and then Mm -hmm. you didn't experience that, but you did experience it from the LGBT community. So did that change your version, seeing it in a new way, did it change your version of how you saw Jesus? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Jesus by his character tends to always err on the side of the oppressed, Mm -hmm. not the oppressor. I mean, he he was very much a radical um, figure that, you know, almost single-handedly toppled an empire. And, you know, I think the reason that people, you know, even my atheist friends are, love the Sermon on the Mount, for Mm -hmm. example, you know, have a deep, profound respect for the words of Jesus, the words in red. And, um, and I think that I had always been given the empire version of Jesus and I had not ever been introduced to the, the servant, um, not vigilante, what's the word? Uh, I mean, the, the, the guy that was swimming against the stream that was was siding with the oppressed and, and, uh, that was very much a, a side of, of, of Yeshua that I had never met and was Mm -hmm. thrilled to meet. I feel like kind of personality wise, I'm naturally prone to instigate things. I'm not afraid of confrontation. Yeah. Made for some interesting experiences, but (laughs) the Jesus, (laughs) the the Jesus I know now, I don't seek in a church building. I I seek in on the farm when I'm working on my family farm, Mm -hmm. you know, when I'm not in nature, when I'm, speaking to friends and having heart to hearts with friends. Yeah. And, uh, the fellowship I get from that, um, has been a balm for my soul. I, I still think I have a certain level of almost a PTSD from my religious experiences and mm-hmm. from that year. Um, I've also gotten older and wiser and started realizing how, how intricately connected religion and, and politics mm-hmm. seems to be. And, yeah. and that, that is you know, off-putting. So uh, it's very much more personal and relationship driven now than it is, you know, communal and social. Yeah. I like that. I think that's important. It's all about relationship and our pastor at our church has been like talking about like breaking the spirit of religion and how Jesus was mm-hmm. and how women, how, what we interpret in the Bible of women aren't supposed to be speaking in the church is totally wrong. And he proves that by Jesus sitting next to the woman at the well, or by Jesus having Mary Magdalene come along with him. All of that was culturally not acceptable, but he did it anyways. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just think it's so important because had she been married five times? Yeah. Something crazy. <laughs> she was totally, yeah, it was totally wrong for him to do that in that time. And he was showing us something and religion and mm-hmm. has just, done a terrible job of painting the picture of who Jesus actually was and is. And, um, I'm really lucky to, well, I I think the, Oh, Oh, no, you're good. I just feel really lucky to be under a pastor who is not afraid to preach these things that they need to be spoken on and they're important. 
So I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no worries. Not at all. I, uh, there was a little bit of a lag for yeah. a second and I thought you were. So, um, I, I think the, one of the more enlightening experiences I've had since the book came out was <clears throat> I went and, um, spoke at two conferences in, in Rome, um, geez, May-ish of 2013. And, um, the first conference was at a high school and, and the second conference was at the first Protestant church ever built in Rome wow. and a little chapel like carved out of, out of stone. It was amazing. But, um, one of the things that I did while I was there was I went and toured the Colosseum because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm, I quote Maximus from gladiator pretty much everything. <laughs> and, um, so I wanted to go see, and they happened to have a Constantine, Constantine exhibit. Um, and I had done some research on, you know, Constantine you know, bringing Christianity to Rome and making it the national uh, religion of Rome and why and how he used the Christian faith to get people on his side so he could overcome the other two regional em- emperors mm-hmm. and, and take it on for himself and then offered all the once persecuted Christians, you know, power and political authority and, and money. And, and I feel like, you know, there's a, a quote, the church is a whore, but she's my mother. I think it's St. Francis yeah. said that. And I think that was the moment I realized that the church and state jumped into bed together. And then that started unraveling um, everything after that for me mm-hmm. and, and the ways that power and money and influence and structure and mm-hmm. buildings and, and 501c3s have yeah. the spirit of the movement of Christianity, organic Christianity, mm-hmm. and not in all cases. I don't want to generalize completely yeah. here, but there, in my experience, I've visited many, many churches and there are far more phony religious churches than there are Christ following Christ honoring churches. Yeah. And that's very sad. Very. Yeah. I mean, we live in the Bible Belt of Texas, and so it's a. Oh yeah. It's only by God's grace and plan that we found a church that has me on a worship team and has baptized my daughter mm-hmm. and dedicated my son. Like that's not normal, and um, I'm excited for the day that more places like that. Because for me, a house of worship is important, but every. Mm-hmm. story I hear the more I do the podcast and the more stories I hear usually on TikTok the more I'm just like man like yeah. how do we fix this because it's a mess and uh <laughs> it breaks my heart to hear all the trauma stories like I have my own trauma but I'm also mm-hmm. like super lucky I know this isn't a normal thing um so it's just so how do did we you fix always it? live in Texas or did you yes I grew up in Where Austin I grew up in Austin, Texas, and then we moved to Amarillo. So it's a little different. I just went to Austin last week and I was like, man, this is way different. Now being married with two kids, I was like, I feel like I stick out less here. McConaughey is going to be the, (laughs) (laughs) Matthew McConaughey is going to take over Texas with Joe Rogan. Uh, (laughs) But I've never been to Austin. I'd spent some time working in Dallas, the Dallas Fort Worth area. I've got mm-hmm. family out there. I've done some speaking engagements out there and recently took a road trip. That'll be in my next book, um, through Texas and stopped in Amarillo. So I went to yeah. the big Texan and I went to pawn shops there. 
yeah. got camera equipment and stuff. It was it was a blast. But that's awesome. Did you like the really big Texan? Cool I did actually. I mean, I I I didn't get the challenge steak. Um, yeah, part of me wanted that's to, huge. but. Um, yeah, no, I couldn't do that. Uh, but no, I mean, I enjoyed it. It was a good time. It wasn't the best steak of my life or anything, but it was an experience right, and agree. a really cool environment. And I, I still drink out of the plastic cup from, from the Big Texan with yeah. all the records That's and awesome. stuff on it. And, but every time I see somebody going, there, like, oh, I've been there. I love that place. So. Yeah, it's a really cool environment. I, I would agree, not the best steak, but I'm picky about steaks, so yeah. I don't know. Um. So talking about empathy, I don't want to take too much of your time. Mm-hmm. My whole goal with the podcast is not not just to help LGBT people know that Jesus loves them, but also to help church people know that Jesus loves us. And uh, mm-hmm. how, as a straight person who went through this whole experience, how could you, like, what could you say, what do you have to say to both, I mean, both sides of having more empathy, really, for the straight side to have more empathy for the LGBT? How can they, advice that they, you could give them to better love and understand that Jesus does love us? Well, I think the first step in that is understanding each other and mm-hmm. and people, every human on this planet, no matter what background, what country, what region, what economic class, um, whatever, Mm. every single person shares in common, this need for otherness to love and to be loved and, and uh, to be respected and to be affirmed. And, and there are a lot more similar similarities between us than differences. Ultimately, those, Mm -hmm. those things are so huge and so profound in making us who we are as human beings that, that we sometimes like, you know, that it it overshadows the, the, the minutia of the political, this political, that, you know, this denomination Mm -hmm. versus that denomination, Protestant, Catholic, atheist, Christian. So I think the first thing I would say is as much as people may have hurt you or you may be against them or, or you may disagree vehemently on, on 99% of life, there's still more things that are similarities between you and that other than there are differences. And once I realized that, that, um, that changed how I interact with everybody. Uh, because mm-hmm. I understand that if you speak to those core desires and needs to love and be loved and to show respect, that oftentimes, no matter what people believe, they will return that same thing in kind. Um, yeah. As far as that specific question of Christians that are still anti-gay and LGBT folks that are um, have been so hurt by Christianity or yeah. have seen so much hurt perpetrated by religion that they're against it. Um, first, to the LGBT people, um, I would say everybody is on a journey and Mm -hmm. they're walking that journey at that pace. The same way if my, if I went out and, and you and I were trying to see who could walk a mile the fastest, you're going to beat me. There's no question. Um, long torso, short, stubby legs, 300 pounds down from 360 (laughs) pounds, but still 300 pounds. There you go. Good job. Uh, Thank you. Um, and, uh, 
And so just in the same way that some people are more physically able to do something in a more um, expedient way, a lot of us, um, you know, there, there's a mental, emotional, intellectual fitness inherent to all of mm-hmm. us. And different people are at different levels. And, and if somebody like me, who is super dogmatic, who would, who is the type that you would see at pride day, sit standing on a five gallon paint bucket with a megaphone, like, you know, if that was who I was before mm-hmm. and and I would be able to go from that to where I'm at now. Um, I truly believe that every single person is capable of changing and evolving and, mm-hmm. and, and coming to a more broad awareness of, of God's children. Um, and I think that the only thing that is going to bring that out of uh, conservative religious people is to experience love from the people that they are against or, or don't agree with. So, I mean, I encourage all of my LGBT friends that, that where it's emotionally, mentally safe for them to do so, to, Mm -hmm. to seek out and, and, and live in that tension with those people to go to churches that are a little bit more conservative sometimes. Um, Mm -hmm. if, if they haven't been traumatized, you know, if it's not a trigger, because, you know, I don't know the exact statistic, but I mean, even conservatives who have gay or, you know, lesbian, bisexual, transgender loved ones or friends are mm-hmm. a certain percentage more likely to vote for equality and and, mm-hmm. and, and not be against them, even if, even if they, they still hold a theological, a pretty conservative theological perspective. Mm-hmm. So yeah, everybody is on their journey and you can't rush people on that. Now you can expect certain things like we have a certain social contract, like an unspoken agreement that, you know, you're going to, if I give you this money, you're going to bake me a damn cake, you know? Mm -hmm. So that kind of discrimination, not cool with me, but if, you know, if, if somebody just specifically holds a belief that it goes against what I believe, um, and, and it isn't used to harm other people um, directly, mm-hmm. then I would say just give them time, love them and walk them through that process if you're able to and pray for them. Um, yeah. You know, send out positive vibes, whatever it is that you want to mm-hmm. do. Um, to the conservative Christians, um, I always encourage them to rededicate themselves to getting to know the Jesus of the Bible, to mm-hmm. read the words in red see what he doesn't say because sometimes what isn't said is as important as what is said. And the sheer amount of times that love your neighbor and, and, uh, uh, things like that, take care of, take care of each other is, is promoted in scriptures is vastly Mm -hmm. outnumbers the, the things that it is purportedly against. Um, yeah. And then the, you know, the other thing that I try to do is I try to, and not being a biblical scholar myself, but having done quite extensive research specifically on this topic, because mm-hmm. I knew I would be interacting with those conservative people, having a, a foundational understanding of how the clobber passages mm-hmm. aren't actually relevant or don't apply mm-hmm. or what, what 
the actual context is in those situations is is huge. So perfect yeah. example, not to rabbit trail, but Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. If, you know, I'd always use that um, growing up because I saw that on the felt board with those felt asteroid pieces. And yeah. And here it's to destroy the sexual immorality and the gay people. And mm-hmm. and now, you know, I know that, hey, if I go to Ezekiel 16, it tells me exactly why Sodom was destroyed. That's how mm-hmm. it happened. Um, because of their prosperous ease and lack of care for the other and their neighbor. Mm-hmm. And which sounds a lot more familiar as, as yeah. the more I live looking around the U.S. Yeah. But so um, I think we just all have to have patience and we have to put ourselves in the shoes of the people, mm. especially the people that that dislike us or hate us or are against us or mm-hmm. or that disagree with us and understand that our perspective is our perspective and we believe our right and they believe they're right and they believe yeah. that they're, you know, they believe that they're honoring God, you know. Um, so, yeah. you know, I try to I try to be gentle but firm in those mm-hmm. situations with, with conservative believers. Yeah, that's good. Thank yeah, you. There's a very long answer. I hope I answered yeah. your question. No, I liked I liked everything you said. It was good. Um, that was something when we came into our church, like I sat down with my pastor before I even sang worship and we talked about how where the church was gonna go, but it did have to take time because you just can't throw it all on someone and it was all my whole goal was always just loving people and letting the Holy Spirit do the rest because I'm going to mess it up Um, always I'm always if it's me and my emotions they'll get the best of me so just trusting that process and loving people through that and not that it's easy we just went through some hard stuff but um, Mm. yeah it always, well, acting as opposed to reacting is always tends to be the yes. smarter course of That's, action. And I'm not not great at it myself yeah. a lot of the time. But uh, yeah, I try either. Ask my kids. <laughs> acting, what is it, responding? <laughs> yeah, see, now reacting? I don't have any kids yeah. yet, so yeah. I, I, but, um, yeah. That's a hard thing to do. Um, well, I'm so thankful for your time. I'm so thankful for your book. I don't know. I know you don't know this, but confessions from the closet, the title came from cross in the closet. And, uh, Oh wow. I loved the book so much. That's awesome. Yeah. Wait, let me grab this thing that fell off the ground. I was going (laughs) to say like, it's part of the cool thing about getting published and having a book is when you get to share that book with people in other languages and the two that most people haven't gotten to see or, there's oh, the, wow. the Chinese version. Wow. And then the Hungarian version, um, which says 18 and up, I guess, because I use profanity and talk about drinking and smoking cloves. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so, you know, it's That's been awesome. a, an interesting experience there. But I'm so like I saw your post um, about the book and I every time I see something like that, it's just so humbling because as an ally, you know, I know my job is not to usurp the voices of the people I'm I'm trying to work and advocate for mm-hmm. it's to it's to walk beside them or, or or take my cues from them or or take my orders from them and mm-hmm. figure out the best way for me to to help them yeah. um, in whatever way I can to you know and it's been an act of penance almost for me 
for the first 20 years of my life where I was just a, you know, I say in the book, a Bible banging homophobe type mm-hmm. to now I want, I, I want to have that Saul Paul transformation, oh, you know, that Damascus mm-hmm. moment. So, yeah. But yeah, I was very humbled by your, your post and it's like, I'm going to add you on Facebook <laughs> <laughs> message you right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, I was so thankful. I, was, I really, I was excited. Your book means everything well, to me. I really encourage everyone listening or watching to get the book. I'll link it in the show notes because it, it did change mm-hmm. my life. And, um, I just think we could all, if they want an autograph copy, yeah. I've got a box under my bed right now. So yeah. <laughs> they just private message me on Facebook or, or tweet at me and get in contact. And I can tell them how to do that too. Yeah. But it is available on Amazon. And I'm pretty sure that's where I got Nook it. And Kindle and Amazon. All those years ago. So. Yeah. Um, thank you for going through that journey and uh, being brave enough to uh, walk in our shoes as much as you could and to share it. I'm so glad you shared it because it wouldn't have been the same. And it's, I know, impacted my life and my mom's life and I'm sure so many others. And I am glad that it can continue to change people's lives. So thank you for that. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And just everything that you're helping me with, I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. And I really appreciate the opportunity and and to to talk to you. It's nice to talk to people in the pandemic era. Yeah. Um, Even, you know, video chatting. Um, I would tell your mom I said hello. I will. She'll listen. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Hi, mom. (laughs) She'll be I'll see you in Amarillo. We'll go to a better... A better steak joint yeah. when I'm out there. There the you go. Time. You got to let us know. It'll be exciting. Absolutely. So, everyone, thank you so much for listening and watching. I've got to meet your wife yes, and kids. You do need to watch them mm-hmm. or meet them. Sorry, excuse me. There is a little bit of a lag yeah. happening. I'm catching it too. But yeah. Um, yeah. My wife's super excited that I got to do this tonight. She knows how much it means to me. So. Again, thank you. But everyone listening, I really appreciate y'all's time. As always, please like and subscribe if you haven't already. And be sure to check out Crossing the Closet because it is a game changer for sure. Till next week, have a great one. Hey guys, thanks for listening to my mom's podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button, turn on the notifications, and give this video a big thumbs up. Also, thanks for your comments and your feedback. Hey guys, thanks Hey guys, thanks for listening to my podcast. (laughs) Oh gosh.